They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people around, around, excuse me, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. This is is a reading of God's word. You may be seated. Awesome. Are the kids? Are the, the kids are here, right? So we're all set. Praise God. So uh, yeah, very interesting end to the to the scriptures. Huh? We'll talk about that in a moment. I'm sure. As a, a local community, what we do is uh, we read books of the Bible and we go through books of the Bible. You see, our leaders are passing our Bible, so you can raise your hand if you need one. We highly recommend that uh, for a couple of reasons. We'll have the verses up front. Uh, but we want to also model a sense of, like, we don't want you getting kind of lazy in a sense and not, like, feeling like you need to navigate through the scriptures. And so um, if you are, if you know you're getting that special diet and you're in the Word, cool. But we just want you to continue to learn how to just be in the Bible, going through the pages, seeing the Word for yourself, not just taking our Word for it on the screen. We could be getting y'all. So um, that's one issue. And then also, if you need a Bible at home, let us know. We'd love to provide those for you as well. Um, just want to make sure that we all have the Word of God. We... Um, we do what we call expositional teaching here. We have some times where we go through topics, but uh, for the most part, we like to go through books of the Bible uh, to make sure that you guys uh, are at some level getting the whole counsel of God's Word. Uh, that's our heart behind that. And so we've gone through many books. We'll ask you to go online to check out some of the other books we've gone through. Um, right now, we are actually in the book of Exodus. Um, very uh, powerful passage here. In uh, chapter 19, verses 1 through 15, we're going we're to pray for us, and then we're going to jump right in and get in the Word together, okay, and do some, uh, some gymnastics and learn a lot about what God 
by God's grace, what he's trying to tell us today and what, we talk, what he was saying to the people uh, in antiquity. Bow your heads, please, with me for this moment. Lord Jesus, we, we see this moment um, all this time as a holy time, and specifically the proclamation of your word. Uh, we, take, we don't take lightly. We don't think we're smart enough to understand your revelation. We thank you that you are, is, is indeed revelation. You reveal it to us. So we pray that that would happen right now, that your spirit will guide me as you have graciously given me, given me the opportunity to speak and proclaim your word. I pray uh, that my, um, my insecurities and my pride will get out of the way and that you will be exalted. Uh, would you do that? And I pray that uh, the insecurities and the pride of the, the people of God will get out of the way so they will be receptive of your truth and that you would have a great time because of all those things happening, Jesus. Um, we pray that we can have fun and be cut to the quick in our hearts, that our hearts will be hearts of flesh, that you are able to mold. Um, so do your work, Jesus, and would you speak through me by your grace. Uh, we love you, and we're excited to see what you want us to understand about you and your world and us in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Um, so we are in uh, chapter 19, and we, we just had uh, some awesome scenarios happen in our past uh, times together. Uh, we've seen God do amazing things uh, as far as uh, many miracles. We've seen him um, in addition to the miracles, which is actually another miracle, but it's just simply God uh, in his mind just protecting his people in battle. And then we have a very practical implication of, of what does it mean to be the people of God last week. And now this week, uh, we are preparing uh, for probably one of the most important aspects of what's happening in the Pentateuch, or I would say the people of, uh, the people of God in all of time, we have the preparation of God beginning to tell the people what does it mean to be his people, basically setting, setting those norms. And so he begins today by setting those, those relational norms, which I think is so cool how when we do life, if you do life, you, told, you see this all the time. The way we do life um, really retells the character and the story of God in so many ways. The way we handle ourselves relationally can tell you about the things of God, um, how how we go about having, you know, quite uh, just our relaxed time can tell you about the people of God. And even here, I love the sense that uh, we see here, we learn practically. Now, this is not the theological principle here, but I even think practically we learn that there is an importance to having relational norms. And we all do that, whether we like it or not. And some of us don't do it as well, and then we get caught slipping, right? I mean, we all get, have you ever been in a relationship? And the relational norm, what I mean by that is basically the, the, the construct, the kind of unspoken rules sometimes in which a relationship works, right? And now, now it's really cool when you have the norms and you feel like you're jiving with the person, you feel like you guys are on the same page on what the rules are going to be in a relationship. You know, we're going to speak life to each other, we're going to be kind to each other, we're going to be honest, right? These are some unspoken norms that we all kind of want when you begin to develop a friendship with somebody, Right? But have you ever had it? I know I have. Uh, when I was uh, going through the text and, sp and spending time with Jesus, I was like, man, it is always difficult when you start a relationship with weird relational norms and you don't know how to get back to the good norms that you want to get back to. Is that just me? Or isn't that really bizarre? Have you ever had that when you start a relationship? And maybe, I know before I was a Christian, I had some relationships where basically the norm of the relationship was you talked, you talked bad to each other. You used profanity with each other. Right, you you kind of joked, and it was always trying to cut each other, and, and this was kind of like the norm. This was like, hey, we're friends, you know. And you're kind of like, okay, and you're doing the norm, and you're kind of like, I don't like this. 
right? It's not giving me life. This is bizarre. I, every time I see this person, we do this weird norm that we both decided is okay because neither person said this is inappropriate. So in itself, we said it's okay, but yet I'm not getting life. That person's not getting life. And we both know it's a weird relational norm. I think we've all had that at some level. And I don't know how many of us actually, you know, it's almost as worse as, it's almost as bad as when you, you meet somebody, they tell you their name, and then you forget it, and you don't know how to go back to the beginning and say, I actually don't know your name now. And then you go like two years calling them bruh. <laughs> right? You ever had that? Hey, bro, what's up? <laughs> hey, sis. Yeah, you're like, what is, her, what is her name? And you're like trying to be around conversations just to hear her name so you can finally know it. Right? Versus just, just being humble and saying, you know what? I know you told me six times. Can I get number seven? What is your name? Yeah. <laughs> Let's start this norm right. Yeah. Right? I wonder what would happen when many of us, as the people of God, would do that in our normal relationships where we would see inappropriate norms. We would see, man, I don't want to operate like this, and this is not healthy for you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have an awkward scenario, and we're going to reestablish a healthy norm. I wonder what would happen. I think we would have a lot more life. Well, praise God, I want to provide practically, that's the sense, but that's what God is doing here. He's showing us that there's something healthy about that. Because he begins the relationship with his people, and he says, hey, you know what? We're not going to have no unspoken rules and have you thinking, oh, I thought that's the way you like me to talk to you, God. <laughs> but what I want to do, just to make sure that you understand who I am and who you are and how this relationship is going to work, I want to provide some relational norms. And so that's what's happening here in this passage here is God is kind of setting the stage of what does it mean to interact with the holy God, all right? And so he does that for the people of Israel now, uh, but he's going to actually obviously transfer that to what it looks like for us to interact with him today. Um, let's start with verse 1. Look what he says. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai, they set out uh, for Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. Their Israel encamped before the mountain. I know it sounds kind of weird. Uh, this is basically three months to the day they've been out uh, to this point, and they're kind of basically encamping around the, the, the region of Mount Sinai. So they're on the foothills, and they're kind of, they're not on the mountain, but they're kind of around it. So get that picture here, and there's a reason for that as well we're going to see in a moment. And then while Moses, verse 3 excuse me, went up to God, uh, the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. So we have this basically poetic intro that, you know, if you guys are super into like the, the idiosyncrasies of the, of the text, you, this is very a poetic uh, intro here uh, with a lot of parallelism to it. Uh, and he's basically beginning to define what does it mean uh, to connect with, the, with his people. And he says in verse four, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. So look how he sets the stage, all right? Don't miss this. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Verse 5, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, uh, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Don't miss verse 4, 5, and 6. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So what he does, he tells Moses 
This is what I want to share with you about what does it mean to be my people. And he starts by giving them basically this preamble, uh, which actually identifies the, 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 the parties of the covenant, where you got myself, God, and you got these people, the people of Israel. These are the covenant people who are going to be part of this, this treaty, as you will. And then he talks about uh, basically why, uh, or reminds them of like why they're even actually uh, going to be part of this covenant, and he makes it all about him, which is awesome, right? He says, first, you're going to be part of this covenant, because you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, right? You know who I am, and you've seen what I have done for you. And then he gives kind of this if clause. If clauses are very important in Scripture, right? He says, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments, then he talks about what he will do for them. What I want to do, as you look at this passage here, I want to talk about some theological implications that come out of this passage first, okay? What he does in this passage, as he says, I am God you are the Israelites. I'm going to enter into this relationship with you. I have all the power because I'm the Lord. Look what I've done for you. So you have the opportunity to trust me. And then what I want to do is I want to provide these implications of what does it mean to be part of this covenant. So here's some important theological some implications. So he gives sanctions. He gives sanctions to the promises that he wants to give to the people of Israel. First, uh, the sanctions are this. He says, I can, I can provide these promises for you and I can make this covenant because first, I am the only true God, Right? Uh, what he does here, look what he says here. I love this piece. He says in, ver- in the verse 5, for all the earth is mine. You shall be my treasure possession among all the peoples. Why? For all the earth is mine. And so what he's saying there is God is saying, uh, I'm the creator and father of not just this people group, but all people. Right, So this is very important because, remember, they're in a very polytheistic culture. Everyone has many gods. In fact, you see the Israelites throughout time always struggle with having a lot of false gods, okay? And so what he wants to make clear is that I'm making this, this, this covenant relationship with you, and the reason why you need to understand that this is important of what I'm doing for you is because, first, there's no other gods, right? He says, all the earth is mine. If all the earth is mine, then that means no one else gets a piece, Right. So that means that I need to first help you understand. So monotheism is a whole is a whole theme here is that monotheism was extremely important to to Yahweh in establishing this covenant because he needed to make sure for the people of antiquity that we're reading about now. And I propose for you and I today, the reason why we worship Jesus Christ, the reason why we are Christians is because there is only one God is because all other guys are false. So he wants to make it clear. That everything else is false, which is interesting because even when you think of the Ten Commandments, I mean, not the Ten Commandments, you think of the Ten Plagues, I can't go back there. I think I was on sabbatical. I don't know if we talked about it or not, but what's interesting about the Ten Plagues, just like within creation in Genesis, when, when, when the book of Genesis starts, uh, from, you know, we, we start arguing about the wrong things, old earth, new earth. God's point in the beginning of Genesis is that I'm God. Right? That's his whole point in the beginning of Genesis. And so what he does, he actually takes the culture of that day and he takes the, the, the framework of how people thought and, and talked about things and he, takes, and he says, now all these fake guys you talk about and the way you think about the world, I'm going to look at that and I'm going to deconstruct it based on the reality that I've created the world. That's basically the way he writes Genesis. In the same way, he does the same thing in the book of Exodus when he does the plagues. If you look at the plagues, each plague actually represents a God, a fake God that people were serving. And so in the essence, Jesus is being, I say Jesus because now we're on this side of the cross, but I'll be historically accurate. Yahweh was saying, Yahweh was basically saying, I'm going to get street with you. I'm going to beat up all your false gods. That's what the plagues are about. 
Oh, you think, the, you know, so every plague was him saying, you worship the God of this thing. I'm going to take it and use it against you. Just to show you, no, I'm the God of all these things. It was a smack in the face to polytheism. It was a smack in the face because God wants to be, make it really clear, and you see this when he provides the Ten Commandments, that there is one God, only worship me. That's his point. So he starts, so, it's, so we're not surprised that he starts off this piece of like, what does it mean to be my people, to be in relationship with me? Well, first you need to understand, the whole earth is mine. The whole earth is mine. And you can be my treasure possession because it's all mine. I'm not competing with anyone. Don't get worried if you're my people that someone else is going to snatch you. No, I'm in control. The whole concept of monotheism is huge. So basically, he gives this concept of that I'm the God of, of all things. And he says, you, might, you can be my treasured possession. And he says, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Wow. Huge. Right? So, so he says, hey, I'm God. You're going to be my people. I'm choosing. And why? Because I want people to actually see basically me through you. And I'll, go, I'll talk about that in a moment. But he says, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They weren't to just be, oh, you're my people, and you just get to hang around and be my people, right? That's going to be great. No, no. They're, he's saying, you're my people, but for a reason. You see this? Holy, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So it wasn't about them just, just having, being a priest unto themselves and being holy unto themselves. Holiness is not just about being set apart for yourself, right? It's always about being set apart for God. Well, for why? What, what does that mean, set apart for God? Well, let's talk about that. That their special relationship with God uh, was not to be about not paying attention to the rest of the world, but their special relationship with God was to allow the world to serve notice on who God is. Now, this is extremely important. Let me, let me just read another passage. 1 Peter 2, verse 9 through 12. 1 Peter, you can write it down or you can go to it right now and check it out. This is extremely important when we understand what God is trying to do when he's shaping his people. So he says to them, listen, I have made you. Why does he say that? Think about that. He's talking to these people. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Okay? A treasure possession. Look what he says in 1 Peter. Verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Listen to the language, family. Don't miss the language. You hear this language? This is like Israel talk language, right? This is Judaism talk language, right? You hear it? It sounds just like what we just read in Exodus, right? Am I right? Okay, it sounds just like we just, what we just read in Exodus. But he's talking to Gentiles and Jews, what? What is he doing? Continue on. Look what he says. He says, once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as what? Sojourners and exiles to abstain. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We in First Peter, he's talking about sojourners and exile. He's using the same language that we see in Exodus, the exile. Do you see what he's doing? Do you not think that the first century Jew and a, and a new pagan Gentile who's now a believer is thinking about, huh, why is he saying this? And a Jewish person is probably saying, man, because, you know, back in the day, we were exiles. And, he, and look at Exodus. And, and he's going through and saying, he's talking the same language. Now, here's my commercial. 
the, one of the main reasons he's doing is because he's doing what I always say is recapitulation. He's retelling the story. And what he's doing, he's telling you the reason why he wants to use Israel is because he's showing you Israel doesn't have just a special place apart from all the creation, guys. He's saying that there's always been a remnant. There's always been a true spiritual Israel. And so basically he's calling these Gentiles, as it were, spiritual Israelites because they are grafted into this family. Does that make sense? So the reason why he's using the same language is because he's trying to help them understand this is your history. This is who you are. That people who actually love Jesus, know Jesus, have been washed of their sins, repenting of their sins, experienced God's grace by faith. He says, this is your trajectory now. Continues on. Look what he says in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You see what he's saying? You know what he does there is so beautiful? He, now think about it. He's talking to Gentiles and Jews. But then he says, keep your, he says, what does he say here? He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Why does he say that? Because what he's doing, he's, doing, he's making a distinction as it were. He's, he's flipping the script as he were. He's saying, guess what? The real Gentiles, as it were, are people who don't know me. You see that? Because this is not an exclusive Jewish group. Because he's he's, 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 he, this information is going out to Pontus, um, to, to, um, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia. I mean, this is going to a series of churches. Now, why do I bring this up? Because I want us to understand how important it is when you think of those individuals, he was calling them a, a, a royal priesthood. He was calling them holy. He was calling them uh, a possession for, for the Lord, a treasure possession. And why this is important is because you go, well, is it, when I think of holiness and I think of being a priest, what do you usually think of? I usually think of cleansed. I think of being holy. I think of being set apart. Intercessor. I don't, think of, I don't think of work, though. I don't think of, well, what am I supposed to do? Well, I want to propose to you, here's, here's what is implied in this concept of being a priest. A priest stands between God and humans, correct? To help bring humans closer to God. That's the role of a priest, okay? And to help disperse God's truth and justice and favor and discipline, right? And holiness to humans, now, I want to propose he, we do this in probably four ways. First, obedience, right? right? Israel will be an example, right? And I think we have this up here. Israel will be an example to the people of other nations, right, who will see them. They will see their holy beliefs, how they act, what they do, and be like, man, they really obey Yahweh, man. It seems like their God continues to bless them. Maybe I, I should probably learn more about this Yahweh. That's called proselyte, right? They would become a proselyte. When they would say, hey, I'm not a Jewish person, but I love your Jewish God. It seems like your Jewish God is actually the God of the whole world. How can I know and serve him? And then they would enter into that covenant community and become a child of God, as it were, even as an, a non-Jew. Right? Evangelism. So obedience. Also evangelism. Israel would proclaim the truth of God. Right? To other nations. For, him to accept, for people to accept Jesus. To accept Yahweh at that point. My sister said intercession, prayer. A priest prays, they intercede, they, they intercede, they talk to God for the people. Lord, bring them to salvation. Lord, save them, help them, care for them. Right? And they would do this by offering sacrifices and right behavior. <laughs> right, family? And it would be prophetic. They would tell the truth. Right? Israel would keep God's promises. 
practically and tell the truth to the world, preserving the, the, the word of God, preserving the spoken word that was before Yahweh that he sent out. Now, why do I say this? Why, how, do, how, does this how does it affect me? What does this have to do with you and me? It has everything to have to do with us. You see that? Because I'm telling you, according to the text here, God is saying that, hey, when I call you a royal priest, right, and I call you a holy nation, he's saying to each of us, unlike the world has taught us, even I'll say evangelicalism has kind of said that this component of the gospel is optional. That, the, that it's optional to, to be one who's prophetic with truth, to be one who's going out and being, and being evangelistic. Oh, you know what? I, oh, man, you come to MacDab, they're, they're kind of crazy and serious. You're going to have to be sharing your faith. I want to propose that theologically the Bible teaches there's no bench warmers. He says everybody that loves the God, this is their call. This is who you are. See, we're, we love that it may, he makes us holy, but we don't like the job description of what it means to be holy. To be holy, to be his priesthood, means that you and I are proclaiming to the world who God is. It means that you and I are doing that through our attitude, through our speech, through our words, right? That in every aspect, that this, this, this literally under, it, it, it shapes the underpinning of our ecclesiastical culture in this church. That the concept that everybody who says they love Jesus, based on your framework, on what you can do, okay? Some of us have different intellects and things like that. But based on your capacity, God says, I want you to be my priest and my holy people based on your capacity. So it would be, it would be ungodly and it would be, it would be wrong for you or me to just tell people that, yeah, you know, going out and learning how to share your faith and going out and, and being God's prophet, you, you know, just, just all you got to do is just kind of live a little quiet life. And, no, that would be wrong. We, we, the reason why we push each other is because this is who you are. Like living this out is who you are. It's not optional. It's not, just, it's not just who he's made you to be, but he's made you to be a missionary to holy, perfect, cleansed, and he sets us apart. And so he tells the people, hey, this is what I'm asking you to be about. I'm, I want you to be my treasure possession. This is how he starts a relationship. He starts a relationship that I'm going to make you holy, not because you did something, but because you, you connected to me, because you connected to the Father. And then what that means, in essence, is that you get a job description. In verse 6, he continues, I'm sorry, I just read verse 6. Verse 7, he says, uh, he ends verse 6 with a command to Moses to be sure that the Israelites heard the commandment and the covenants that he gave to the people. Make sure you, you heard me, right? Right, Moses? In verse 7, he says, so Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has, command, has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported these words of the people the words of the people to the Lord. So, so I love the, the concept of the passage here is a couple things. First, he's, he's saying, I'm a clear messenger of God. God tells me something. I go back and forth, and he's not just kind of um, making up stuff verbatim, but God has given him words to speak, which is awesome. I love the Israel structure here that you get to see. These are like just little tidbits. You get to see the, the structure here is that Moses comes, and he doesn't have this huge assembly with everybody, but Moses comes, and he tells the elders, and the elders tell the people. By the way, just thought I would uh, point that out, which is really cool. Um, and then we see a, 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 a unanimously positive response from all the people. Okay, God, we hear you. Awesome. We understand this, right? Now, the question is, God, why would God, does God need this process? 
Why does God do this? Why does God say, hey, I'm going to tell you this, then you go tell them, and then they go tell them, and, you know, and then let me know what they say back. Couldn't God just tell them himself? What's the point here? I want to propose this. Who said Obedience, I want to propose he's setting that norm again of, look, I'm God, so people can't just run up on me. Okay, he's setting, he's setting, a, he's setting a, a culture here that there's a culture of, of reverence and holiness that I think it will prove to you toward the end, of the, uh, the end of the passage. Is that the reason why we have certain people who can come before God and then report is because God wants to make it really clear to everyone that not only am I the only God, but because of that, I deserve a special uh, measure of reverence, a special measure, a measure of, of, of trepidation because of who I am. And so basically, he's like, hey, you tell people, I'll tell them, and then you go through, and it's a, there's a pecking order before it gets to the Lord. Verse 9, he says, and the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud. I'm going to reveal myself in a special way that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people of the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people, verse 10, and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments, verse 11, and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Powerful stuff. Look what he's doing here. So he's setting the stage even more. He's saying, okay, so what I want to do is I, I want people to, I, I know you've had a hard time, Moses, so let me make sure people understand that you've been talking to me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to flip the script a little bit. I'm going to talk to you, but they're going to hear me. Right, they're going to hear some stuff, and that's going to confirm to them. That's what it says right here in, in early. So I'm going to do a, a, a different kind of revelation. I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear, verse 9, when I speak with you. <laughs> right? So they kind of hear. We don't know if they hear clearly everything that's being said, but whatever they hear, they're left going, oh, my goodness, Moses was talking to Yahweh. Right? Whatever they hear, they leave knowing that. And the goal of that is so that they'll quit tripping and believe you when you say something. Right? I need to make sure because we're about, to, we're about to get to the Ten Commandments here, so I don't want drama, so I want to make sure I set this thing up right, basically is what God is saying. And then God says, hey, because of the special revelation, I need you to do something. I need you to go to the people, and I need you to consecrate them for a couple days. You see that? So, so we already see that the, the pecking order allows a sense of reverence for us to see the sense of reverence before the Lord. But then we even see God saying, hey, so I'm not going to just tell you today what the issues are. I'm not going to tell you today what does it mean to be my people. I'm not going to tell you the Ten Commandments. You know why? Because y'all are not ready yet because I still need to get your mind right in understanding who you are dealing with. And so he says, I want you to go and consecrate the people for two days, which I don't know what you do for two days, Right? And the point is, we all know we're still dirty. After all the washing and all the things that we do, we're still dirty. So a proposal, again, is this is God saying, you're holy because I told you. And let's be clear there. And the reason why you're doing this is because God wants us to see and build a sense of reverence, which we know in our culture today we desperately need. I mean, when you think about it, think about how we go up to presidents and kings I mean, there's, there's like a rule. I was uh, just doing some searches on the internet. There's a rule, you know, there's a 20-foot rule of diameter uh, that they have with, with a king, right? If there's a king around, you don't, you like, people can't be, like, in 20 feet around them. Did you know that? I didn't know that. That's deep, right? That there's like, look, I'm the king, dude. You can't just run up on a king, right? Hey, no, you're going to get shot, right? 
And I was and I was looking at um, some of the dynasties and even in, uh, the dynasties in China. They were talking about how you know the, the the norm was out of respect. What would happen? Even one of a, I don't know if it was a missionary. If you they say if you bowed, say the king is in front of you and you're far away because high respect is important in, in China, you would bow. But then if you bowed and said and you walk and turned your back, they would kill you. Because that's a sign of absolute disrespect. And so what you did was you bowed and then you backed out the door like this. <laughs> All right, so you hope you got your skills right, don't fall, but you got you to gotta back out. But the, but the king, you need to always be facing the king because of who he is. You see what I'm talking about in the beginning? I said how we, tell, we retell the story of God in so many ways, even as unbelievers, because there's so much common grace that God has given us to remind us that we belong to him. We didn't come up with that. <laughs> Right? That's this guy's grace saying, you know where you got that from? Because I'm God. If, if somebody's supposed to back out of a room for you, dude, you know what I'm saying? Who you might have a lifespan of 80 to 90 years at best if you're eating your broccoli and stuff. Right? Very frail, very fragile. You understand? And yet, you're going to respect a human in that way. And we, and we do that all the time. You think of a CEO. You think of someone you see. You go on Facebook. Oh, you been with him? I mean, just the way we exalt people. It's actually, it's actually bad and horrible, but actually it speaks to how we should be exalting the exalted one. It's saying, think about how you treat people that you revere in this world who are just human. God said then, think about that and multiply that exponentially when you think about a holy God who is in control of everything. That's his point in this passage, family. He's trying to get it into the heads of the Israelites that I am to be revered. This is the cultural norm. When you're with me, there's a way to do things because I'm God. And so he says, consecrate these people, which means make them acceptable to God. Make them acceptable to, as it were, not just to God, but to be close to God. Yes, let's call it. Very, very good, very good. That's a really hard question. Thanks a lot, sis. So Colette asks, so how do we, how do we, how do we um, couple the fact that God has us wanting to be reverent to him, but then yet the scriptures tell us because of Jesus Christ, we can come boldly before the throne of grace, right? That's a really good thing. You know what? I got to think about that because I would propose to you that in, when I think of anything that happens in the New Testament, which is actually uh, exposition of what God has done in the Old Testament, meaning that he brings out in a bigger and higher degree what he's done in the Old Testament. I think of every Ten Commandments. So, for example, when I think of God saying, hey, you know what, uh, don't commit adultery. And then there's not one commandment where he says, I'm going to minimize what that means, right? Actually, he, he actually heightens it. He makes it even more intense, but he makes it a hard issue. So, so, for example, he says, you know, do not commit adultery. So then Jesus comes and dies, you know, and says, hey, actually, it's not about just not doing the act because, you know, people like me would love that. Here's the 10 things I'm not supposed to do. Here's the 10 things I should do. Cool, I'm going to get an A, right? I'm a high type A person. I love those tests, right? But then God flips the script on people like me who will be Pharisees, and he says, no, 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 no. See, I know you heard it said do not commit adultery, but actually, if you even look at a woman, if you look at someone in a lustful way, you've already committed adultery. Boom, uh-oh, you've made it now an issue of the heart, well, which one's easier, the, the little list or the heart? I propose to you the heart. 
Now, what's cool about that is that leads us, we can't, our hearts always kind of decrepit, so that leads us to the gospel, that actually leads us to Christ. Well, I'm going to always be at some level breaking that, so now, Lord, I need your grace, right? So I want to propose that although I don't know specifically what that looks like, what I do know, I trust God at his word that he wants us to come boldly, but I absolutely don't think, and we don't see in history, and we don't see in the scriptures, God changing the framework of what does it mean to revere him? Because we see Jesus modeling that reverence to the God, saying, I only do what the Father has told me. Saying, hey, I come to the Lord. We see him modeling the sense of consecration, prayer, fasting, getting that attention, that alone time to God, to be, to be made closer to God. We see the apostles doing the same thing. So I would propose that actually because we see this in the Old Testament, I want to propose in Christ all these things become a matter of the heart now, and so there's no rules as it were, of how you're supposed to come in church, where there were rules and how you did synagogue, as it were, right? The way you dressed, what you put on, what you, how you washed in the beginning before you walked into the, uh, to the gates. Uh, you, had, you had basins around. There are all these rules. Well, in Christ, what makes it harder, there's not all these rules now of what does it mean to be consecrated or what does it mean to be reverent, but I'm proposing it's even more intense because God is saying it's a hard issue. Now it's about your heart. So I want to propose a theological thread is God is saying, you can come in here with jeans on, okay? But now is your heart reverent? And then God is helping us see that a lot of times, if your heart's reverent, your outside actions will dictate that. But you're free. So I hope that's helpful. So you're free, but I want to propose in in Christ a on this side of the cross, I want to say everything's been heightened to the point God is saying, where is your heart when you're thinking about coming before the Holy of Holies? Right. Which I would propose even more. People entered into the temple. The temple's now in us. And so God, he's, he's made everything, boom. See, it never goes this way. It goes this way. So, that, so I think that question actually begs us to say, man, if they're acting like this, how should we be acting? When we have the temple of God here, in us, with us, all around, the kingdom expanding in times and places, wherever we are, right? Great question, sis. So that's my 50 cent answer to that, but uh, I think it falls in line with, with, the, with, the, with the text, with the scriptures. Um, so we're, we're called to be making things acceptable, uh, holy, making holy, which means making acceptable to be close to God. He tells them, he gives them three days uh, to, to do these things. And then he says in verse 12, look at this, look at this. So he says, I want you to consecrate. But then it was interesting. Then he tells us, gives us even more. So you see, each, each verse is kind of just setting the stage. Here's the norm. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying. So not only are you going to concentrate yourself, I'm telling you, my holy people, for this reason. And then he says, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. So not only are you to be made pure and holy, ready to see God. And this is God just coming to pay a little visit. And may I propose to you, this is God not even fully revealing himself. So this is God paying a visit, not really revealing himself, kind of giving you his like pinky. And he's like, look, all this stuff has to happen for you to see my pinky. Right? Because we know that even for Moses, he just saw his back. Right? And it was like, he was glowing. It was crazy. He was like, he aged like 40 years. You know, it was crazy. So, so I'm just being goofy. But my point is, that's, that's the point that the Bible is trying to help us see about reverence. So we don't get, God is not even fully revealing himself. And then he says, hey, I'm telling you, 
I'm not even going to reveal fully myself, and I'm asking you, you cannot even touch the mountain. Why? Because I'm on it. I just think that's so profound. God is like, because I'm on the, I'm on the mountain, so you can't touch the mountain now. That when I touch something, it becomes holy. It becomes consecrated. And then we see that, that story being retold in Jesus, right? That's a, that was the beauty of his healings. The beauty of his healings in the first century was that, every, that, that, that he healed things. See, God was on people. He did this purposefully. If you touched a leper, you became dirty. You became unclean. So it was, that was Jesus' point. I'm going to show you that normally when you touch stuff, you become unclean, and I can't see you or talk to you, but because I am clean and I am holy, I do the opposite. When I touch unclean things, they actually become clean. That was his point. I, I, do, I do another thing. I ain't, I ain't like y'all. The otherness of God is huge in this passage. He's saying, guys, I want to make it clear. It's not to make you feel bad. It's to make you understand true reality. I am not like you. I am separate. So you got to get cleaned up. You can't touch what I touch. You got to make sure you talk to other homies to talk to me. This is how it is when you deal with a holy God. So why? So we can, we can say loud. We can think about that. What does it mean to, to worship a God? Like I, I, It brings worship, right? Think of what Colette said. Think about all the rules and the stuff we're seeing here, and then think that holy God died for you. Said you can come boldly before his throne for you, that you can call him Abba. See, that's the beauty of the gospel, is that he sets this role of seeing who he is. Don't touch it. Look what he says here. Whoever touches the mountains shall be put to death. It's not that you're going to be in trouble, time out. You won't get you know, any manna on Wednesday. None of that. You're going to die. Kill him. And he's so street. God's like, and I'm not going to do it. Y'all going to kill him. Right? I'm going to have y'all kill him. They're like, man, we don't, we don't kill. You kill people now. You my people. I mean, where do you see, where do you see the Israelites doing this? This is, this is new deal for them. I mean, can you imagine we become God, we're God's people. All of a sudden, God's like, all right, Jake, man, you, got, you need to go stone that brother. Jake. Jake, like, man, for real, just throw the brick. Throw the brick. Straight up, throw the brick. That's crazy. These guys weren't warriors, but that's, that's how serious holiness is. God's like, keep holiness in the camp. He says, listen, no hand shall touch, verse 13, shall touch him. So, when a person does it, I don't even want you to touch them. If you touch them, you got to die too. You can't touch them. So you got to make sure you got good aim with your brick. So it was like shooting. So you had arrows or bricks. I'm, I'm not being facetious. That's how you killed them. And you can't touch them. So you got to make sure the brick hits them. Because God is that serious about his otherness. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. That's how you, that's how you kill him, whether beast or man. So if one of your little pigs or your, your lambs go up on a mountain, kill it. He shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. See, only when I call you, you can come up to the mountain, which is interesting. We're going to see later in the passage, that's actually, gosh, God is actually the trumpet blast here, which I think is beautiful, right? And so he's like, when I call you, you come. But until then, and I love, you see what God is doing there? We as people, and I'm, we're going to go home. May I share with you, God, I love how who God is. It's so hard on my pride, though. And it's so hard on millions of people's pride. Because you know what God does all through the Bible? He does stuff like that. That just seems like he breaks the rules. You know what God just said? So look, you can't come on the mountain because I'm holy. But when I want you to come, you can come. But I thought you can't touch the mountain because you're holy. But I decided that day I want you to come. Well, how are you going to change the rules? Because I'm God. I made everything. 
And we get so mad at that as people. We read the Bible. Well, how can God say this? And then he say that because I'm God. And he's like, and it's almost, I wonder if God is like, and I did that just to see if you're going to trip. Because I can do that. I wonder if God's doing, I wonder if God, I, I'm convinced that things like predestination, all that stuff, he's left it to us scratching our heads so that, so that we can go, I don't know how it happens. The guy's like, yeah, and I ain't going to answer your question. I'm going to make you go through your whole life wondering why won't God answer all my questions and I'm going to bring you to the point to go to say he God and I'm not. I'm convinced of that. So in this passage, I look at him just saying, changing the script on me and I'm like, well, dang, God, what's up with that? He's like, yep. When I call something holy, it's holy. I think us being holy is weird. How can we be holy and we, we didn't do anything but the other person is not holy? And the only reason why is because of the cross. It's the only reason. But that's also, that's also the, the, explains the beauty of God. It explains the beauty of God. It's that he makes the rules. He calls the shots. And he's made us holy. And that should give you and me great comfort when we think we earn it. And when you mess up, because you will, you can go, man, I'm, I'm thankful. The older I get, the more I'm thankful that, man, I don't make myself holy. I'm like, wow, thank you, Lord, because I'd, I'd have been dead a long time ago. But by God's grace, he makes us holy. Um, the answer is that God desired uh, to teach the people the seriousness of dealing with him, guys. Check this out. Uh, so I want to propose, historically, that's why people dress up in churches, uh, the sense of, of reverence. Now, again, you can, you, can, you can do the first century and be a Pharisee and dress up and your heart be full of dead man's bones, like in Ezekiel. So that's not the point. And that's what Jesus is trying to do. Don't just dress up and then be unholy. You missed the point. <laughs> I'd rather you come in here with holes in your jeans and reverent. You see, God's trying to make the point there. Um, Verse 14, so Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. So then he said, hey, y'all, we got to wash our clothes, you know, and they washed their garments. And, they, and he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. So his point there is to show us that there's something that's very important about consecration. He's saying, you know, don't uh, sexual relations, that when you are setting yourself apart from God, God is saying, I want you to pause from the normal life activities and I want you to center yourself on me. So, for example, uh, sexual relationships, I want you to fast, I want you to pray. This is something that we can be learning even practically, but I'm not, it's a, it's a, the spiritual principles are important. That God is showing that all those things could have a hindrance to you being your, keeping your focus on God. But God is saying that's how important God is, is that we should be willing to zero in, to, to dial in and say, I want to focus on the Lord right now. So that's what he asked uh, the people to do. So no physical indulgences. He wants, our, he wants your heart. He wants you to be prepared because this is a serious moment. How does, that, how, how does that affect us today? What are we trying to consider? What's happening in this passage? What is God doing here, right? Um, I'm going to say two big things. We've talked about it over and over. The takeaway is, God, as you're thinking and you're pondering, what does it mean? What, is, what do the people of God leave thinking after this whole altercation, this scenario that they had with Moses? First, God is holy. I think you leave here, my prayer is that you leave here with a heightened sense that, man, the world the daily he wants to trick you and me and trick you and trick you and you and trick you that, you know what, well, okay, yeah, maybe God is holy, but this, this is a dog-eat-dog world. I just kind of do my life and do my thing, right? Because you're not seeing people get hit with lightning bolts and all this stuff, 
right? But that's, that's the scariest part of this stage in the journey of God's, of God's timeline is he's doing supernatural things here and there. But normally, this is a life of faith where you, gotta, you, you don't know. <laughs> and so we get lulled to sleep and thinking it's really just about being a human on earth. And you forget, and I forget about God and that he's holy. I mean, do we even hear that a lot anymore? The holiness of God? Do you hear people asking you to call it a holiness? Being pure like the Lord? The mandate that he gives us in 1 Peter? The mandate that we see here? Right? God is holy. But here's what's beautiful. Even as Colette talked about coming boldly. Yahweh is both willing, though, in that holiness, in that perfection, in that otherness, to still be known by you and me <laughs> and to be intimate with us. That's the kicker. That's the thing that God is trying to set. That's, that's the, the crazy part of the whole journey. That's what's so beautiful about the passage. That's what's so beautiful about the gospel is that in his holiness and his reverence and his desire and he should destroy us all, that instead he flipped the script again and said, I'm going to make a way out of no way, and he sends his son to pay for our sins. That's, that's crazy. And he says, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to provide a way for you to actually enter into that intimacy that I desire for you. How? Through me. I love that. I love that God is like, I'm going to do it. You're not going to do it. I'm going to do it. So what, he sets the stage for these people. I'm holy. But then guess what? I'll be calling you to the mountain real soon. But get right. <laughs> get ready for it. It's a beautiful picture of the good news. Of people saying, Lord, I am sinful. I do need you. I repent of my sins. Right? That's how you come to Jesus. So well, how, do I, how do I become a Christian? What, what, I hear you talking about Christianity and what does it mean to know God? Well, I want to propose to you, apart from Jesus, you do not know God. He's, a, he's the only way to the Father. Well, how do, you, how do you have this relationship with this holy otherness God? It says by admitting that you're not God. By admitting that you had the audacity to think you could be your own God. By, by entering and enjoying your sin and then admitting you're a sinner. And saying, God, you're the only one who could pay for my sins. You're the only one who died and rose for me. God says he wants us to confess our sins, <laughs> repent of our sins, and then what Jesus does, he doesn't hold a grudge, he forgives us. He's the lamb that was slain for you, and he's the lion of Judah. And then we come into his presence by faith. The work is a work of faith. And so that is the beauty. My prayer for me and you is you will leave with great hope right now. See, in this passage, there's one of reverence and trepidation, oh my goodness, and wow, in that, I get to be his child. That's a beautiful thing. And then what does that mean practically? Not only just in worship. You worship God. You enjoy the Lord. Believe the gospel. Experience the gospel. But that has an evangelistic push. You're a royal priest. You're a holy nation, right? Respond by being a kingdom of priests. Respond by being a holy nation. By being a prayer warrior for your community. By being a prayer warrior for your, your local community here. By going out and proclaiming God's truth. By interceding, right, connecting, connecting people with our great God. That's what priests do. Y'all ready to do that in our community? That's what, we're, that's what we're called to do. I'm proposing that's not optional. That's part of the job description. We want holiness for ourselves, but there's a W-2 component. There's a work component to it. You got to do something. God is asking you not as his holy people, be his holy people. My prayer for us is that we would do that this week. 
Hey, uh, let's respond through a time of, of, of uh, communion and a tithe and offering as we worship the Lord. Think about it, as I always say, um, process it. My prayer is for us to be encouraged throughout this week to look for opportunities to proclaim Christ to the community, to your neighbors, to people in our local body, to remind them of who they are in Christ because of Christ. And then right now, what we're going to do in response is we're going to do a time of, of communion and, and tithe and offering.